Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through to 25. This is God's word. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the, third, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up And the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people. 
and told them. Amen. I'm going to read to you uh, a few things that it says in Debrett's handbook. Uh, some of you may know what Debrett's is, but it's a handbook about uh, how you work and di- what you do in certain circumstances and situations. Uh, and this is what it says for the royal family. There is no accepted code of behaviour for encounters with royalty, but adhering to the traditional forms of address will prevent anxiety. When meeting any member of the royal family, men should bow from the neck and women should make a small curtsy. A handshake is also acceptable. For male members of the royal family, use your royal highness and subsequently sir. A female member of the royal family, except the queen, should be addressed as your royal highness, followed by ma'am. Should you happen upon a member of the royal family during their time off, allow them the freedom to go about their business as an ordinary person. Assume that to, to royalty, being left alone is far from a discourtesy. It is a luxury. And then in terms of guest etiquette, whenever you actually meet uh, or you go to, to meet uh, the, the royal family, it says, the key point for anyone receiving an invitation, and then it says in brackets, technically a command when it comes from the sovereign close brackets, is that it will include comprehensive guidance as to what form the event will take. The aim of the royal household is to make people comfortable and ensure they have a good experience. Guests are told exactly when to arrive and they're given advice about what to wear. This is the process just to meet Her Majesty the Queen or another member of the royal family. How honoured most people are to be invited to a royal event, to, to go to a garden party, whether here in Hillsborough or over in Buckingham Palace or at Sandringham Castle. And so as people get those invites, they, they take the effort to make sure that they are properly prepared for that big event. They want to know exactly what they should wear. They want to know exactly how they should behave. They want to know exactly when they should arrive and what they would do when they meet the member of the royal family. And you see, that that is something of what we have here in this passage. This chapter is the warm-up in effect. It's the debrettes for the prelude to the main event. Meeting God, Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. This is the warm-up for, for what is the, at the heart of the Old Testament in the next chapter, where God gives the Decalogue, what we refer to as the Law or the Ten Commandments. This is the point in history where God establishes that Mosaic Covenant, this covenant between God and his people. And as we look at this particular chapter this morning, there are three aspects that we we want to to look at. The first one is the longest, so don't panic and think, is he going to go on for an hour? Uh, The the second is shorter and the third is the shortest. Um, But the three Ps that we want to look at today are a place to meet God, preparation to meet God, and people's obedience. So the first one, place to meet God. Israelites, they've been on the road, so to speak, for about three months. 
In fact, for three months when they arrive at Mount Sinai. And this is a place where they will be camped for about 11 months. But this, as I've already said, is a defining moment in the lives of the Israelites. It is one that is really important. Some scholars, you see, think of the, the period of the Pentateuch. That's, that's the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That they, those books, five books, span a time frame of about 2,700 years. In fact, there's one scholar believes that it is 2,706 years, to be precise, um, across those five books. Eleven months of that period... 2,700 odd years is what they spend at Mount Sinai. And yet, when you read the Bible and those books, we see that it will take up almost one third of these first five books of the Bible. This is important material for us. This is really important material. See, this is a place that, that God, before their dramatic rescue from the Egyptians, when God was speaking to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 12, he said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But look at the contrast They've been promised three times in Exodus alone that, that God is rescuing them from slavery in Egypt and bringing them to a place of abundance, a land that is going to flow with milk and honey. Where are they now? It certainly isn't a place of milk and honey, but it is a place that God had promised them where he would meet them after rescuing the Israelites this is a place that, that once at Sinai, God is going to further develop the relationship that he has with these people, these special people, with the establishment of that Mosaic covenant, that special agreement. This is a place where, where God is no longer just a name, but it's a place where God is visibly present with his people. It's a place that will enable the people, the Israelites, to have a much more intimate knowledge of their creator, their God. God who up to now has lived in heaven, and now he is going to come and meet them on earth. Just think for a moment of that. God himself, Yahweh, Elohim, the creator of heaven and earth came down to meet with his creation, his creatures, his people, on earth, on Mount Sinai. Look what happened when they met God. Did God just, you know, appear quietly and silently in a way that nobody is really aware that, that he had, God was there? No. When God met them at Sinai, it was dramatic. Uh, chapter, verse 16 of the, the chapter we read, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. When God met them at Sinai, the people knew it. There would have been no doubt in anyone's mind. What can we take away from this well, when we want to meet God, 
It says in Psalm 42, uh, verses 1 and 2, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet God? See, when we become a disciple of Christ, when our soul is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then we will pant for God. And that is what Christ came for. And we read that in John uh, chapter 14, where he says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. We don't need to go to Mount Sinai, even if we knew where it was, to meet with God. God sent Christ his son. Through him, when we love him and obey him, then we meet with God. Not in that physical sense, but we can meet and do meet with God 24-7. We don't even have to be in a church building or a sanctuary to meet with God. God meets us where we are. When we come to him in prayer, When we pray, we meet with God. You know, with the Israelites, they knew all about it when God met with them. The thunder, the lightning. We may not ever have had that in our lifetime, but we know we have met with God when he hears and answers our prayer. So make a note Make a record when you pray and ask God for something specific. And then when God answers it, make a note again. You too will know that God has answered your prayer, that you have met with God. I was at a funeral a while back um, of a lady who was a real prayer warrior. She's not much older than I am. And she had a little book that she wrote all her prayers in. And alongside them, she wrote her answers. That book apparently was full. She knew that she had met God because she knew God had answered her prayers. You know, for God's people, it was at Sinai that that God gave the Israelites that covenant. But you see, for us, there is a new covenant. There's a new covenant through Christ And that's so vividly described in in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that, that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And it goes on, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And he goes on then to say, uh, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. When we come and worship as we are doing this morning, we are meeting with God. And so as we come and we worship on Sunday, we should do so with joy. We should do so with reverence and awe, just as the Israelites did whenever they went to Sinai. And that leads us on to that second theme uh, of preparation to meet God. See, when the Israelites are to meet God at Sinai, one of the aspects that we notice is, is the holiness of God's nature. And the people are to consecrate themselves. We read that in those verses 14, 15. Uh, after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. And also, just as back in that, at the burning bush account, back in Exodus 3, God had said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. You see, as that burning bush was made holy by God's presence, so too is Mount Sinai. And then there's this boundary that is to be erected and it's to stop the people coming into direct contact with God. The people are to prepare themselves. These people are not just to rack up. As with the royal family, you just don't turn up wearing whatever you want. In this account, there are three ascents by Moses and each of them is preparatory in nature. That first ascent, God tells the Israelites to be obedient to his word. They are to hear and obey. And when this happens, there will be a promise of blessing to follow for them. The people are to consecrate themselves. This means set apart, to cause to be holy. They are to be holy people. God makes them wash their clothes. This isn't the command for us every Sunday to put on a clean shirt, although it might be nice for the person sitting beside us. But maybe as we read this, we think it's a bit strange, a bit random. Wash your clothes. But this outward action of washing their clothes symbolizes that need for inner cleansing. Cleansing of their soul before it would be possible for them to have a real fellowship and meet with God. Because God is going to meet them at Sinai, this place, this site will be holy. Just as the bush had been when God had met Moses there. But these people, the people are different from Moses because God has allowed Moses to approach him, but the people aren't. They are neither accidentally or intentionally to enter into God's presence on the mountain. They're not to be presumptuous. And that's why to, to avoid this happening, God commands that, that these limits are put around the mountain. Anyone that breaches them, well, the consequences are serious. It will be death. There's no reprieve. You know, just as Debrett's handbook tells us not to turn our back on the queen 
or we are never to touch the queen whenever you meet her. So God says, don't come into my space. You know, as we read this passage, it's important that we see that, that God acts first. And then he invites the people to respond. The people, the Israelites, they are not forced. They are not compelled. God gives them the opportunity to be his chosen people. They're going to have a special status. Verse 5 says, a kingdom of priests. You see, this points to to that restoration of the, the special relationship that did exist before the fall. When Adam and Eve betrayed God in the Garden of Eden. So it is with these Israelites. One day soon, they too will be involved in building a dwelling place for God because they will be building the tabernacle. But before they meet God, the Israelites are to prepare themselves. They are to be holy. They are to be reverent. What does this mean for us? Well, we too are called to be holy. Romans 12 verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, giving glory to God is worship. And we do this because of the gospel and God's grace in our lives. It enables us to present our whole lives to God. Preparation to meet God. What does that mean? Well, two things. One, when we meet in church for worship, often our opening prayer, not always, but, but usually includes two, two, two elements. One is adoration. And that's when we acknowledge God's wonder, his majesty, his forgiveness and mercy. And then secondly, confession, where we confess our sins. In effect, washing our clothes as the Israelites had to do. So we cleanse our inner self in preparation for a time of worship with God whenever we come and we meet in this place as we spend time with God. Secondly, the Israelites' behavior. You know, their action was, was to be different from those that worshiped the other pagan gods, the Egyptians and so on. Well, Jesus, he tells us in Matthew that we are to be salt and light. We are to be different from the world and people around us. And so our behavior is the most visible thing to those who are not yet Christians that marks us out as different. And that leads me then to this third and final short point, God's obe people's obedience. When we read this passage and others, and certainly those others in Exodus when God gives the commandments of the law, we, we often read this as if they, the Israelites, keep the, the law and keep God's commands, well then, to use that well-known phrase, actions of consequences, and so in keeping God's commands, that means that God will save them. Wrong. Because the Israelites have already been saved. God has already rescued the Israelites from bondage and slavery when they were under the Egyptians for, for hundreds of years. God wants the Israelites continued obedience. 
That's what God goes on to spell out in the law and the commandments. God wants their continued obedience so that the Israelites can continue to enjoy the salvation that they have already received. Their response to be obedient should not be driven by some slavish fear, but rather it should flow from gratitude that they have already been freed by, by divine grace for all that God has done for them. God tells the Israelites how they can live in a way that pleases him, God, their creator. That working of God's grace is the same for God's people today. God redeems us through Jesus Christ, his only son. And that new covenant that exists that we read in Hebrews, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. What it goes on to say in Hebrews 8 is that, in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. God gives us his commands. Christ taught them to his disciples. Do we see them as something that we should slavishly follow? If we do, we have got it wrong because we are already saved. Jesus has done it. And so when we accept that gift of saving grace, then we respond to God and live as he wants us to. Not because we have to, but because of our gratitude, our thanks to God for what he has already done. You know, at first as, as children, we think our parents make up rules just for the sake of it. They, do, they don't really make sense whenever you're a child. And then as you get older, you understand that, that what your parents have told you from a baby, that actually your parents loved you and that you start to see these rules that they put in place in a different way. In a sense, you see them through a different lens. And that changes them. And so it is with our obedience to God. As we grow in our walk with God, we will see, start to see more of his love and grace. And so our obedience is grateful. And the blessing of this is the outflowing that, that we will be God's treasured possession. We will be a kingdom of priests. We will be a holy nation. We will be disciples who go on to make disciples. We will be part of God's, God's transformative action in this world. We will be part of God's plan for a new heaven and a new earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for what you have done in our lives. We give thanks for your son, Christ. We give thanks, Lord, for his death on a cross for each of us, Lord, what you have already done. And so, Lord, as we respond to that, we ask that you will help us grow in our love of you and that, that we will start to obey your laws and commands, not because we believe we have to, but rather because we want to thank and acknowledge and give our gratitude to you, for what you have already done in our lives and that we will be obedient to you in love 
rather than because we simply believe we have to. Challenge each of us, Lord, how those Israelites, Israelites met you at Sinai. Lord, may we meet you daily when we come to you in prayer. Challenge each of us, Lord, to have that prayerful life. And Lord, prepare each of us. Prepare each of us, Lord, for the future works and service. As you use those Israelites in that time of preparation, and yet in due course you use them to build the tabernacle. So Lord, we pray for our fellowship here and how you may well be working in time of preparation for some here for future works of, of service in your kingdom. And we ask this all in and through Christ's precious name. Amen.